So we're in a series entitled Signs. The Greek word semion is the Greek word for sign. It basically means a mark, a pointer, an indicator, right? And the whole idea, the whole idea is that these, these things that are written in John point to something, right? They're there for a purpose. John chapter 20 and verse 31, John sort of summarizes the writing and said, listen, I could write about a bunch of other stuff, right? He said, there's so many other things that Jesus did around people that I could write about. He said, but these, in verse 31, he says, these are written... He said that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? And having believed, he says, you can receive eternal life, right? That's the point of the gospel of John when it comes to these signs. It's the reason why we're preaching this because there are lots of people today. There's people who watch us online every week. There are people who gather in space here and spaces like this that still don't believe still don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that understanding that in believing that we can have eternal life. But I can tell you this, I do know firsthand, at least in our small little world, that people are growing more desperate, right? And here's how I know this. We have visitors, we have visiting families here in Ormond every week. And we have anywhere from 17 to 20 visiting families who come to our services just in person on the weekends. Now it's decreased a little bit because of COVID, but we still have visiting families over double digits on our campus every week. I don't know if you've ever been to some place where you've been new, like you've been a visitor, but when you go as a visitor, sometimes you tend to want to play it cool, right? Step back, not be seen, don't jump right out of the, of the mix, right? Visiting families are now, without hesitation, filling out prayer cards and telling us their greatest personal needs. We've never met these people. They've never met us. They don't know anything about us other than what they've read or been told. And they're showing up. And when the prayer cards are turned in and the pastors have their prayer list, we're now seeing that visiting families are sharing some incredibly difficult seasons of life that they're going through. That's new for the church. Sometimes it takes us months and years to get people to surrender their struggles and their needs, right? There are people who go to, listen, some of you have been going to church for your entire life and you've never shared with a pastor, you've never shared with your church your greatest need. Visitors are doing that now, right? Our world needs Jesus now more than ever. It is a dark world that I believe in Jesus and I believe that he is the Messiah. And I do believe that this world is temporary and that there is something greater and eternal right back here in its original condition. And I believe that only those who know Jesus and have accepted him for who he is will be here. And I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to hear that. And so that's why we're talking about this. And so last week we talked about water into wine. And talked about what kind of sign it was, right? And we're going to use that theme throughout these signs in the gospel as to what kind of sign is the sign that we're talking about. And so we're in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is primarily known because of its connection to the Samaritan woman, right? The woman at the well, right? 
But in the beginning of John chapter 4, we read in the first couple verses these words. I'm just going to read them to you. John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3 say this. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. I think, Mike, you guys have a a picture of a map that I want you to bring up. This is the picture of, of Israel during the time of Jesus. And if you notice, this area here is the area of Judea. It's where Jerusalem is located, right? Up here in the north by the Sea of Galilee is Galilee where Nazareth and Canaan and Capernaum are located. And in between is this area known as Samaria, right? And if you know much about your Old Testament history, you know that Samaria was the land settled by the northern tribes of Israel after Israel broke in two after King Solomon's reign. And in Samaria... You have a group of people that Jews, true, 100% physical Jews, hated. Because these were people who were Jews who married the locals, right? They came in and they married the locals. And that group of people became this hated, half-breed nation of people that Jewish people couldn't stand. Didn't want to be around. Despise. If you go back and you read some of the language of the antiquities and what went on, you will find out how much hatred there was between a Jew and a Samaritan. Jesus spent the majority of John 4 in that region. But in reality, it just took two days. And he's coming off so far the best revival he's had. After going through the, the, the region of Sychar and Samaria, Jesus confronts this woman... With this promise that there's a, that there's a well that you can drink of that you'll never be thirsty again. And for a woman who was in pain and in shame and in despair, if she could do anything to get away from coming to this well that reminded her of her pain and her shame and her misery, she said, Jesus, give me that water. And Jesus said, it's as simple as believing in me. And she ran into town and told everybody about this guy that knew everything about her. And on her testimony of that man, many people believed in Jesus. And then Jesus stayed and he taught them himself. And eventually they said this, we no longer believe because of the testimony of this woman. We now believe because we've heard for ourselves. His greatest revival to that moment came with a group of people that Jewish people hated. These hated half-breed people had accepted Jesus on his Word, on his word. He didn't perform perform a miracle or a sign in Samaria. He simply told them through his word and many people believed. He's coming off of that and he goes into Galilee, a place where he had done the miracle of the water into wine. Cana is a part of Galilee, right? And so he goes into this, into this community and we pick up the text in verse 43. So if you guys will stand, do you have that? John 4, I want to do 43 through 54, right? Here's the, here's the story. So after two days, he left Galilee, left to Galilee and Jesus himself had pointed out 
this was Jesus, had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum, again in northern Galilee. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. He went to Jesus and he begged Jesus to come and heal his son who was close to death. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus said to him, told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. He's undeterred. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. So the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time, he wanted to know the exact time when his son got better. They said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon or the seventh hour, as some of your Bibles say, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. You guys can be seated. This is the second sign that Jesus did. So what's it pointing to? What's the sign of the healing of the nobleman's or of the, the, the royal official's son? What's it pointing to? I've got a few I'm just going to suggest to you that this sign points to. First of all, I'm going to suggest this sign is a sign that points to condemnation. Condemnation. Here's why. Look at verse 43 and 47. It says, after two days, he left for Galilee, right? Now, Jesus himself, listen to this. He goes into Galilee. Now, Galilee's his home. It's his home, right? Nazareth, where Jesus was, was raised, right? Almost said born, right? Where he was raised is his home. And he says of his home, Jesus himself points out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So Jesus, by his own explanation, knows that going home is a place where he has no acceptance. And yet, look what it says. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans, what? Welcomed him. The Greek word is to receive, right? It's to provide, to provide this necessary welcome, right? When people come to your home, right? If you receive a visitor at your house, there's a certain way that you would greet them. Would you agree with that? Right? So here's the, here's the thing. And this is why I believe that this is a sign of condemnation. I believe that it's a sign of condemnation because there's a lot that can be derived by those two phrases. Jesus leaves Samaria where he's welcomed by these hated half-breeds, goes home into a country that he himself says, I have no honor here. And guess what he's greeted with? He's greeted with people who are like, we're so glad to see you. We've waited for you in a place where he has no honor. Why do you think they're so glad to see Jesus? 
Because the Bible says they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. You see, the only reason they were glad that Jesus came back home was because Jesus was now a what? He was a miracle worker. And we need ourselves a little bit of miracle. So, hi, Jesus. We're so glad you're here, right? Was it the first time, right? John chapter 2 and verse 23 and 25, right? John 2, 23 to 25. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival... Many people saw the signs. This is what this is what John is referring to in John 4. Many people saw the signs, right? Samion, these things that point that he was performing and believed in his name. Sounds great. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. What do you know about him? He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew that was an he knew what was in each person. Here's what he knew. They believed in Jesus because the guy was like a genie. If you rubbed him three times, he gave you three wishes, right? That's why they were glad to see him. Why would a country who would give no honor to Jesus as a prophet, welcome him home? Because he's our rabbit's foot, right? He's our genie in a bottle. He's our make three wishes. He's our blarney stone. He's the throw the penny in the well guy. He's the guy that will do things for us, right? Of course, we're glad to see him. We need a sign or two. We need a miracle or two. So we are thrilled to death to see you. You see, this is a sign that condemns that kind of belief in Jesus. And I know you're, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's not me. I'm not the kind of person that only comes to Jesus because I think he's going to do something for me. All right. How about your prayer life? What do you pray for? Right? Larry Bryant was a Christian artist years and years ago when I was in Bible college. And he wrote this song that detailed this idea that we treat, that we treat our prayer life with Jesus like this never ending shopping list, he called it. Right? Give me this. I want that. Bless me, Lord, I pray. Grant me what I need to make it through the day. Right? That's what we... Listen, there are so many people whose faith in Jesus is connected to has Jesus done for me what I've said. 30 years of ministry, I can tell you one of the number one complaints of Christian people is this. I prayed and I prayed and I believed and Jesus didn't give it to me. Why? Here's why. Because in spite of the theology that you've developed, that has never been the promise of God in Scripture. Jesus came to make sure that his promise was to save you from your sins. To pay your eternal debt. He didn't come so that your pocketbook's always full. So that the job that you want, you always have. So that the relationship that you want, you always get. So that the car that you want, you always drive. The house you want, you'll always live in. And in spite of the charlatans that preach the message that says, quoting scriptures, that this is the answer. Listen, Jesus didn't entrust himself to people who simply believed in him for what he could do. And listen, if you're a parent, you know this, right? Listen, if you've, got a, if, if you've got a kid that can talk, you get this, right? I mean, how many times do your kids treat you like, like you're 
their genie in a bottle. I need a PlayStation 5. I need a PlayStation 5, right? Why? Let's rub the lamp, right? Let's rub the lamp. Let's throw the coin in the well. Let's pull the rabbit's foot out. Let's do whatever. Salt over our shoulder. Whatever it takes, that's who Jesus is. Because Jesus is a doer. Man, he is a sign performer. He is a wonder worker, right? Man, let's make sure that our theology provides that when we ask, we receive. When we name it, right? We name it, we claim it. It's ours. And we have all this wonder of theology. (coughs) And it doesn't work. And you're left with two options. Either my face stinks and I did something wrong. Or God's been mean to me because I don't understand why he wouldn't do what I was told he promised me he would do. If I'm sick, I'll always be well. If I'm broke, I'll always be rich, right? If I'm this, I'll always get that. Why? Because Jesus is a guy who does miracles and signs. And listen, what do you do when Jesus says no, if that's your theology? Well, we're going to find out in the gospel of John exactly what thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people did when they found out that's not who Jesus was. And I wonder if that isn't the case. And here's the problem. Listen, listen to Psalm 136. Here's what scripture, tons of scripture say stuff like this. The psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. We just sang a song, I believe, right? I believe, why? Because he can do all things. Everything is possible with God. Man, if I've got cancer, God's going to heal. If I'm broke, God's going to make sure that I have money. If I'm this, God's going to make sure I have that. If God is a God of wonders and miracles, what's wrong with believing in that? What's wrong with buying into that, right? Thanks, Steve. You can always tell when somebody's walking toward the stage with the intent to get all the way here, right? The question is, you got to discern in about five seconds, why are they coming, right? (laughs) Hebrews 2, 3 and 4 says this. The writer of Hebrews, talking to a group of people who were feeling discouraged about their faith because life wasn't working out the way they wanted to. Their social lives were being, were being destroyed. Their economic lives were being destroyed because these Jews were putting their faith in Jesus and they were finding life difficult just being lived normally. And they were tired of it. And a group of people came and said, listen, just go back to being a Jew. Just go back to being a law-abiding Jew. Get circumcised and everything will be fine. Nobody will Burn your business down. Nobody will treat your family poorly. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which the salvation that we have. Does anybody in here want to testify that our salvation is great? Does anybody in here want to testify that our salvation is great? Right? Right? How, how did how did we find out it was great? It was first announced by the Lord, Right? was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the the apostles, and God also testified to that great salvation by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Listen, God's always been somebody who did miracles. He's always been a guy who performed signs. But why? To point to the great salvation. 
not to you and me to get what we want. Listen, I believe that this is a sign of condemnation for anybody who's simply following Jesus because he's a guy who gets things done, right? Listen, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful of a theology, a theology that says to you, listen, God promises you this, and if you do that, you'll get it. You better be careful of theology that does that. Because the only reason that Jesus had signs and wonders was to confirm the salvation that he himself brought. If you think signs and wonders are here for your benefit, then you're missing the point of who God really is and what he wants. And then what do you do when you don't get it? If your faith is simply to believe in the miracle work and man from Nazareth, you might be disappointed. It's a sign of condemnation for people who simply follow Jesus based on that. John 20 says this in verse 29. Jesus told them or told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you trust in Jesus enough to know that even if you don't see what you're asking for, you're still going to believe in him? Listen, my kids. Listen, you know it. My kids, dad, can I have this? No, I hate you, right? They may not say that straight out, but you know that's what they're in their room doing while they're packing their suitcase. I believe it, I hate this place. I never get what I want, right? Right, because why? Their whole relationship is built on this. My dad's a guy that gets things done. My dad's a guy that gives me money. My dad's a guy that buys this. So dad, can I have that? No, Right? And all of a sudden their whole world is turned upside down because the parents I thought I knew that loved me and cared for me are not those parents anymore. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with me? I've got to leave. Right? Do you know how many Christian people live the same way? Why aren't you in church anymore? Because God hurt me. What would God do? Well, God didn't answer my prayer. Which prayer? Right? A prayer that I would guarantee you almost always is built on some faulty theology that says this, that if you rub the lamp the right way and you hold your mouth the right way and you pray the right prayer in the right kind of church with the right kind of gifts and the right kind of activities, then God's going to give you what you want. No, he's not. It doesn't work that way. Signs and wonders are designed to point to the salvation and I believe that this is a sign of condemnation. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 or 8 and 9 says this. Though you've not seen him, Peter writes, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end, the end result of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your soul. Listen, if the end result of your faith is to simply get Jesus to do the miracle for you, you're missing the point of knowing Jesus. Don't let, don't let your faith be condemned because you're there just to rub the lamp. Second thing, it's a sign of examination. It's a sign of examination. Look at verse 48. Verse 48 says this. Now here's the, here's the story, right? So Jesus is there. We read it. This royal official hears about him comes up to him and says, come with me, go back to Capernaum and heal my son. He's about to die. Jesus turns to this complete stranger, right? And here's what he says to him. I'm going to read it out of order. I'm going to read it in the order of the Greek. Jesus told him, okay, that's first. 
So Jesus is speaking to how many people? How many people? Everybody say one. One person. And he says this. Unless you people. Don't you like being lumped in by a big brush? Right? Don't you love conversations when you're talking to your spouse or your friends. And they lump you in with everybody else. Right? He says, unless talking to one man, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe immediately, immediately condemning the man. You're just like everybody else. You're just here to rub the lamp. You're just here to throw the the penny in the well. You're just here to rub the rabbit's foot. You're only here because you know, I'm a guy that can get things done. And that's the only reason you're asking me. I think the reason that Jesus is asking that, because this is a sign of examination. I think that Jesus is trying to find out what kind of faith this man actually has. So at the first time that Jesus did this, listen to Mark chapter 7. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him... A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syria, the Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, listen, Jesus, listen, how many moms do we have in here? Let me see your hands, right? If you've got a daughter, a little daughter, a little girl who's possessed by a demon, right? And you go to Jesus, Jesus. I believe in you. Heal thy daughter. Cast this demon out. And here's Jesus' response. Tell me how you'd feel, moms. He says to the girl, to the mom, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Here's what he says. I didn't come for you, foreign woman. I came for Jews. So let me give myself to the Jews because dealing with you is like giving bread from children to a dog. Mom, how do you think you'd feel about that if those were Jesus' words to you? How many say mad? Listen, if you're there asking for Jesus to heal your daughter and he calls you a dog, that your need is so important you're like a dog, any moms in here going to be mad, yes or no? Of course you are. He'd be lucky if he ain't smacked across the face. Listen to what the woman said. Why did he do this? I believe he did it to test her faith. Here's what she said. She replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Here's what she said. All I need is a crumb, Jesus. I believe enough that a crumb will work just fine for me. Amazing faith, right? Jesus said, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. You see, the question in itself was asking a way to examine her faith. Jesus says to this royal official, who's got a son dying, fathers, fathers, if you've got a son dying and you go to Jesus and you say to Jesus, listen, just come with me. Just come with me and heal my son. And Jesus says, you people, you people, you're all alike. You're only here because you're only here because you're, you think I'm your magic genie. You won't even believe in me unless I do something for you. Isn't that a tad bit offensive? 
John doesn't even record a response from this man. He's undeterred and says to Jesus again, come with me. Right? Why? I believe that Jesus did it to examine the faith of this man. And here's what I believe for you and me. Not only is that a sign of examination, I believe that's something that we go through regularly with Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Everybody say the first two words. Right? Examine yourselves. Why? To see whether you are in the what? Faith. Test yourselves. Right? See whether you are. Do you not realize that Christ, Jesus in you, unless, of course, you fail the what? Those are pretty scary words. Listen, the idea of examining our faith is something that's all throughout Scripture. Right? James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith. Right? I believe that this is a sign. The healing of the official son is a sign of examination. You people. You only care about signs. But he said it to him. Right? Why? Because he wanted to see what kind of faith this man had. Was that man really like everybody else? Or did that man believe something different about Jesus? And here's what I know. God's going to do the same thing to you and me. He's constantly going to examine our faith. And here's, listen, here's, what, here's, what, here's what he wants to know. Are you here? Because somebody who stood on a stage, because somebody who stood on the stage like this stood up and said before you, listen, God's going to heal all your diseases. God's going to cast out all your problems. God's going to give you everything you want. You just name it and claim it. Plant the seed and it'll grow. Is Are you there because you believe in a God that does that? Or do you believe in me and my word because I'm here to provide salvation for your souls? And here's what I know. I know that our God's a God that's going to test the kind of faith that you have to find out whether that's true. He just always will. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven say this. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Anybody ever suffered any grief or suffering or any grief in a trial right now? Right? He says this. Why? Why do these come? These have come. Right? What are, what are these? The trials. Right? Trials that test what? Our faith. He says these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your what? Of your faith. Of your pistis, your persuasion in God. Do I believe that He is who He says He is? Do I trust in that even if I'm rubbing the lamp and nothing's coming out? Do I buy it? He says, those trials come so we can prove the genuineness of your faith of greater... What's, what does he say about your faith? It's of greater worth than gold. Because that perishes even though it's refined by fire. And it may result in praise. What? Your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Listen, the only kind of faith that's ever going to be glad to see Jesus, that Jesus entrusts himself to, is the kind of faith that says, no matter what I get, it's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith. The kind of faith that says, listen, even if God does not deliver me from this fire, I will trust 
him. Right? You know, you lose some of the dramatic effect when the water falls off, right? Right? But it's that kind of faith. And how's God going to find out if you got that faith? Oh, they came to church. We sang that one song and I saw them raise their hand and I saw a tear come out. I know it's real. No. You know how God's going to know if you've got any genuineness in your faith? He's going to test it. And it's the kind of faith that's going to be revealed when Jesus is revealed. The kind of faith that the Galileans didn't have that said, Oh, 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 the miracle worker's here. We're so glad you're here. Right? How does God prevent you from having that kind of faith? He tested. He tested and he tested and he tested. And then here's the thing. It's also a sign of commendation. We had a sign of condemnation. We had a sign of examination. Now we have a sign of commendation. Verse 46 and 49. I love this part of the story. It's probably my favorite part of the whole story. Verse 46 and 49. These are the two verses. And there was a certain, everybody say royal official. Right? Everybody online say royal official. There's a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now look at verse 39 or 49. Everybody say the... You guys are so enthusiastic. <laughs> right? The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now why, why, are, why are those verses important? Here's why. The Greek word for royal official is basilikos. Basilikos, it's an adjective. It describes the man. It comes from the Greek word uh, basilika, which means kingdom, which comes from the Greek word basalu, which is king. And here's what you find out. This guy was a guy who worked for the king, a royal official, a basilikos. Well, who was king? Herod. Antipas was king. And Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great, the guy who said, I want every boy under the age of two killed because he wanted Jesus dead. That Herod the Great. Well, his son, Herod Antipas, became one of the kings in the kingdom. And he ruled over Galilee. And you might know Herod Antipas just from the little story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Right? I put that in the notes, but I'm not going to read all of it. But in Mark chapter 6 and in Matthew 14, you read the story of John the Baptist. And here's basically how it went. Herod Antipas decided to marry his brother's wife. He married Philip, his brother's wife. And then he was so attracted to Philip's wife's daughter, his stepdaughter now, that he had her dance before him. And she danced so provocatively Right? And so lustfully that Herod Antipas was such a great representative of men that he said, Woo! Girl, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom, you ask and it's yours. And she went to her mama and her mama said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter because that guy keeps speaking bad things about me and me and old Herod Antipas getting together. So she marches right back into Herod Antipas and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And guess what? That man beheaded John the Baptist because he was that kind of creep. That's John the Baptist. Luke 13 tells us this. 
How about Herod Ampus? Luke 13, 31 through 33. At the same time, or at that time, some Pharisees, these were enemies of Jesus. They came to Jesus and they said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Why? Because Herod Antipas wants to what? He wants to kill you. Listen, the guy who has Jesus for the miracle, hey, don't take him out of here. He's enjoying the sermon, right? Listen, he's clearly the most enthusiastic person in here. So don't worry about it, right? <laughs> you laugh because it's, it hurts, right? It's, it hurts, right? But, but listen, this is why I love this. This is, a, this is a sign of commendation. The royal official worked for the guy who beheaded John the Baptist and wanted to kill Jesus. He was guilty by association. And what did Jesus do? He gave him exactly what he asked for. He gave him grace upon grace. This was an enemy. This was a guy that in Luke 23, that when Pilate said, Oh, I don't want to deal with Jesus anymore. This is too hard. I washed my hands of it. He found out that he was a Galilean and he went, Oh, I got the answer. Antipas is the king of Galilee. I'm going to send him to Antipas. So Herod Antipas in Luke 23 gets to meet Jesus, right? And Luke 23 in verse 6 says this. On hearing this, Pilate asked Jesus if he was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, because that's where Herod Antipas ruled, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. How convenient. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. Why? Because for a long time, he had been wanting to see him. And why? From what he had heard about him, about Jesus, he hoped to see Jesus perform a sign of some kind. So he plied him with questions and Jesus gave, Jesus didn't respond to him, right? Fulfilling Isaiah 53, the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him, right? Herod and his soldiers ridiculed Jesus, mocked Jesus, addressing him in an, this is where the robe came from Herod Antipas and they sent him back to Pilate. Listen, you want to know this is a sign of commendation because Jesus Blessed his enemy with grace. With grace. I mean, listen, he could have said to that, to that royal official, are you serious? What kind of gall and nerve do you got to have to ask me to heal your son when you're connected to this loser? A guy who killed my friend, beheaded him, and you want me to do something nice for you. Come on, put yourself in the position of Jesus. How, how comfortable do you feel about helping somebody that has done something to hurt you? Is that the person you're, oh, I can't wait to help you. Yeah, but I stole your car. It's okay, I don't care, right? That's just not how we are. Jesus showed this as a sign of commendation toward Everyone, Listen to these verses. I just picked a handful of them. They're everywhere. Matthew 5, 44. Jesus said this, but I tell you, love your, love your enemies. Don't tolerate them. Love them. Love your enemies. And pray for those who what? He goes on to say this. 
I'm just going to read through them. Just bring them up one at a time, right? Luke, Luke 6, 35. But love your... And do good to them. No, that's not enough to just love them. Right? We can't just say, well, I love you, but I don't like you. Right? We can't just say that anymore. He says, but you love your enemies and what? Do good to them and and not only do good to them, but lend to them without expecting to get anything back. He says, then your reward will be what? Not here. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust do not corrupt nor thieves break in and steal. You want to know how to get a great reward in heaven? That's how. He said, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind. He is kind to the what? The ungrateful and the wicked. How about this one in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27? He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Who hate you. How about this one in Proverbs chapter 24, 17? Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. How many of you find so much joy? Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. I gloated and smiled and my heart rejoiced like crazy when Aaron Rodgers got beat Sunday. Right? I was so, I mean, listen, and, and God gave me this verse. And I was like, Father, forgive me. But it was, listen, it was a sin worth committing in my mind, right? Like I was like, no, it was just, and then how about this one in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse seven? Listen to this. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's ways, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Listen, I think that this is a sign of commendation. I think this is a sign that ultimately proves that God's grace is for everyone. For everyone. This royal official was a cruddy person. He worked for a horrible human being who beheaded John the Baptist and wanted to kill Jesus. Had a chance to do right by him later on and he didn't. And that guy had the nerve to ask Jesus for help. What can we learn from that? God's goodness and grace is for everybody. And if we accept it for ourselves, shouldn't we be people that give it away as well? Right? Listen, it's not just a sign for the day and the time back then. It's a sign of the time for everybody. And that leads me to our offering tonight. We've, uh, we've been able over the last several years to do what's called Night to Shine event. Tim Tebow, many of you know and, and love, started this idea several years ago to create this prom atmosphere event for people who society has forever marginalized. And we, through a series of applications, um, were finally able to be approved by Tim Tebow's foundation to host this great event, this Night to Shine night. And over the years, it's grown and grown and grown. And last year's was our best yet. And hundreds and hundreds of families and uh, individuals have been blessed by it. Well, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else that's gone on, this year's prom will not be held in person. All the proms are being held virtually. And so what, what partner churches are being asked to do is to set up a registration so that these individuals 
can log in as kings and queens, what we call our guests. And then what we're going to do as a partner church is we're going to take them a kit, a prom kit, if you will. And that prom kit's going to contain items to give to them a crown or a tiara, depending on who they are. Flowers, bubbles, right? Light up bracelets, bracelets, sunglasses, candy balloons, and extra supplies, those kind of things. Every person who registers for the virtual night to shine and signs up to be a participant, this church is going to take them a prom kit gift, right? We need a thousand dollars to complete those gift bags for our hundred some registrants. And that's what we're going to ask you to do. Why? Because ultimately I think our God is a God of commendation. Our God is a God that provides grace to all. And if we are people who've received that grace, then man, we should give that grace away to everybody. Amen. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as we close out. Listen, you can always give your offering to that on the way out. As always, every penny you give will go straight to that cause. We don't take a percentage for the operation of the church. Um, It will simply go to that cause. If you're online, you can give online. You can always give through the Church Center app. Just download Church Center, create your login, go to give. You can text to give. Uh, There's there's a multitude of ways for you to do that. But a thousand bucks will bless a hundred people that we have signed up for that. Listen, thank you guys for being here. We're going to pray together. Hope to see you guys next week. Father, thank you for um, Jesus. Thank you that he was a miracle worker and that he did perform these signs and wonders. And we're grateful, Lord, that he did it not to point us to what we could get from him in this life, but it pointed to that great salvation that he, that he provides for us. And so I pray for this church. I pray for those listening, Lord, that our faith will be such that it will be made up of the kind of faith that in spite of the trials that we face, it is genuine. It's proven genuine. And it's, its full expression of joy will come upon the revelation of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, not as our magic genie lamp. So, Father, thank you for the night time that we could spend together these few minutes. We pray for the offering. Ultimately, what we pray for is that these baskets that we give out to these individuals, Father, these kings and these queens, as we crown them on their prom night, Lord, will be used to be the expression of your goodness, of your kindness, of your love, and ultimately of your grace to them. So we thank you for the opportunity to participate in it. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.